0: Welcome to Clinical Neurology Podcast, where you will learn over 12 episodes, how to localize a lesion in neurology based on history taking and physical examination. The podcast is meant for medical students and to make them enjoy learning neurology. Medicine, pediatrics, psychiatry, critical care, neurology residents, general practitioners and nurse practitioners will find it beneficial. Study materials and clinical resources for the podcast are available in show description and at neurologyteachingclub.com website. I am your host Dr. Krishnadas N.C. and let's get started. Today, we will learn how to approach a patient with lower motor neuron weakness. When somebody presents with weakness, the lesion could be in either the upper motor neuron or lower motor neuron. Suppose the lesion is anywhere between motor cortex and spinal segmental level, including cortex, corona radiata, internal capsule, brainstem or spinal cord. In that case, the patient will be having upper motor neuron features like hypertonia, spasticity, brisk reflexes, and upgoing plantar. If the lesion is in lower motor neuron extending from the segmental anterior horn cell, root, plexus, peripheral nerves, neuromuscular junction or muscle, There will be wasting, hypotonia, decreased reflexes and fasciculations. We will focus on lower motor neuron weakness in this session. We will start with a case. A 60-year-old male patient presented with sudden onset painless buckling of the right knee on getting up in the morning. There was pain and paresthesia in front of right thigh and leg along with it. He has had diabetes for 10 years with poorly controlled blood sugar. On examination, his higher functions and cranial nerves were normal. Motor system examination showed decreased tone on the right lower limb with grade 3 power of right knee extension and right hip flexion, adduction and abduction. Left lower limb and upper limbs were normal. His right knee jerk was asymmetrically absent. Sensory system examination showed decreased sensation in front of right thigh and medial side of the right leg. The straight leg racing test was negative and there was no spinal tenderness. Now, let's analyze this case as we learned in episode 2, Approach to Weakness. When somebody presents with weakness, the first question is if it is a true weakness. A painful buckling may suggest an orthopedic problem like osteoarthritis knee. And the patient may not have a true weakness. A painless buckling usually indicates true weakness. This patient did not have any pain in the knee but only in the front of the thigh. The presence of paresthesia also suggests a neurological cause. Once we are sure it is a genuine weakness the next question is if it is an upper motor neuron or lower motor neuron type of weakness. Buckling of knee suggests cordyceps weakness which could either be due to a lower motor neuron or upper motor neuron problem. The patient had hypotonia of the right lower limb with an absent knee jerk and flexor plantar response suggesting a lower motor neuron type of weakness. The asymmetrical decrease in knee jerk is important in these patients indicating the lower motor neuron type lesion. Upper motor neuron lesions usually have brisk or normal reflexes except in the rare case of a spinal shock state. The site of lesion in lower motor neuron includes anterior horn cell, root, plexus, peripheral nerves, neuromuscular junction or muscle. Once we are sure it is a lower motor neuron problem, the next question is whether it is a pure motor or motor sensory problem. Some components of lower motor neuron namely anterior horn cell, muscle and neuromuscular junction are pure motor. The involvement of these anatomical structures will not produce any sensory symptoms. Since our patient has sensory symptoms in the form of pain and paresthesia along with right knee buckling, we can rule out these three localization sites in the lower motor neuron. So what is left is the root, plexus and peripheral nerve. Now let us see which of these three best fits our patient's clinical profile. The femoral nerve supplies the quadriceps muscle. Is it an isolated femoral nerve palsy? The buckling of knee and paresthesia in front of thigh and medial side of leg can be explained by femoral nerve palsy. The sensory on medial side of leg is supplied by saphenous branch of femoral nerve. However, the isolated femoral nerve palsy cannot explain the hip adduction and abduction weakness. The weakness is beyond femoral nerve and obturator nerve and superior gluteal nerve are also involved. Multiple nerves in a single limb are involved. Which usually occurs with a plexus lesion. The immediate differential diagnosis will be multiple root involvement namely L2, L3, L4 and L5 roots on the right side. The foot dorsiflexion and hip abduction are both supplied by the L5 root. Suppose the hip abduction weakness was due to L5 root, we expect the foot dorsiflexion also to be weak. The severe pain at the onset of symptoms which is not radicular makes right lumbosacral plexopathy the first possibility. Poorly controlled diabetes patients are prone to diabetic lumbosacral plexopathy, otherwise known as diabetic amyotrophy. Early diagnosis is critical in these patients as quadriceps wasting occurs fast in these cases as in other plexopathies. The immediate differential diagnosis will be L2, L3, L4 root lesion on the right side. Imaging the lumbosacral spine and plexus, nerve conduction study, and electromyography of the involved muscles should confirm our diagnosis. The patient had an HbA1c of 13. MRI lumbosacral spine did not show any lesion involving right L2, L3, L4 roots. MRI lumbosacral plexus showed enhancement of the upper lumbosacral plexus consistent with the clinical diagnosis of plexopathy. There was no infiltrative or compressive lesion. Nerve conduction study and electromyography were also consistent with the clinical diagnosis of lumbosacral plexopathy. The patient was treated with pulse methylprednisolone along with strict glycemic control and physiotherapy. The patient recovered completely at 1 month follow-up. This case highlights the importance of early diagnosis in lower motor neuron disease. Any delay in diagnosis will result in early development of muscle atrophy and permanent disability. It again illustrates the ease with which we can come to a provisional diagnosis when we have a clinical approach. Now, let us see the clinical features of individual lower motor neuron components. First, we will see the pure motor components which include horn cell, muscle and neuromuscular junction disorders. It's important to note that a motor sensory component can also present as pure motor syndrome if the sensory is not involved. For example, a disc compressing only to the ventral motor root can produce a pure motor syndrome, though the lesion is at root level, which usually causes a sensory motor syndrome. Similarly, lead palsy has a preference for peripheral motor nerves. It can also produce a pure motor syndrome, though the affection is in peripheral nerves, which usually makes a sensory motor syndrome. Muscle First, we will see the clinical features of muscle disease. We will start with a case. A 60-year-old female presented with difficulty in getting up from squatting of 4 months duration. For the last 3 months, she has been having buckling of both knees and difficulty raising the arm above the shoulder. There was no distal weakness or sensory symptoms. On examination, she had a waddling gait. There was grade 3 proximal upper limb and lower limb power with normal tone and reflexes. Her CPK was 10,000 Electromyography showed a myopathic pattern and muscle biopsy showed inflammatory myopathy, polymyositis. She was treated with immunosuppressants with symptomatic improvement. This case is a prototype myopathy and the clinical features of myopathy include pure motor weakness, proximal and symmetrical weakness, no significant wasting or fasciculation. Reflexes are usually retained until the late stages. Extraocular muscle and bulbar muscle can be variably involved in different type of muscle disease and helps to differentiate between them. There is no fatigability or diurnal variation of symptoms which are features of neuromuscular junction disorders. Exemptions to the usual clinical pattern can occur. It can be asymmetrical as in fascio humeral dystrophy or inclusion body myositis. It can be distal predominant as in myotonic dystrophy or other distal myopathies. CPK elevated in most but not all cases. Remember that muscle disease produces a pure motor, symmetrical proximal weakness without fatigability or diurnal variation. Neuromuscular junction disorders Once again, we will start with a case to have a mental picture of the patient's symptoms. A 30-year-old female presented with diplopia and drooping of eyelid of 3 months duration. The drooping was more towards evening. She had difficulty chewing and swallowing for the last two months. The symptoms were mild when she started eating and increased as she continued. For the previous month, she had a nasal twang of voice and difficulty in climbing stairs. On examination, she had bilateral ptosis with weakness of extraocular muscles, which was not in a nerve distribution. Pupils were normal. She had weakness of eye closure and neck extensors, causing her head to drop while sitting. Her tone and reflux were normal. There was great 4-minus power in proximal upper and lower limb with demonstrable fatigability. Sensory examination was normal. Ice pack test and nystagmus test were positive. Repetitive nerve stimulation at 3 Hz showed a decremental pattern suggestive of postsynaptic neuromuscular junction disorder. The acetylcholine receptor antibody was positive confirming the clinical diagnosis of myasthenia gravis. The patient responded well to pyridostigmine and steroids followed by immunosuppressants. Myasthenia gravis is the prototype neuromuscular junction disorder. The clinical features include pure motor syndrome, proximal and symmetrical weakness, early ptosis and extraocular muscle involvement, bulbar involvement, fatigability and diurnal variation are the most characteristic features. Reflux normal mostly except in LEMS, Lambert-Eaton myasthenic syndrome. Remember that neuromuscular junction disorders like myasthenia produce pure motor proximal symmetrical weakness with early extraocular muscle and bulbar involvement. Fatigability and diurnal variation are the characteristic findings that differentiate them from muscle disease. Andirihoncel disease. A 45-year-old male patient presented with wasting and weakness of the right upper limb of three months duration. On examination, He had weakness and wasting of the deltoid, biceps and small muscles of hand on the right side. There was mild weakness of the left upper limb and both lower limbs as well. The biceps reflex was exaggerated in the weak and wasted right side. The lower limb reflexes were brisk and the plantar was extensor bilaterally. The patient had extensive fasciculations all over the body including the tongue. Sensory examination was normal. MRI, brain, and spine were normal. Nerve conduction study and electromyography were consistent with the clinical diagnosis of motor neuron disease, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Amyotrophic lateral sclerosis is the prototype horn cell disease. The clinical features of motor neuron disease include pure motor syndrome, either upper motor neuron alone as in primary lateral sclerosis or lower motor neuron alone as in spinal muscular atrophy. Amyotrophic lateral sclerosis or ALS is the only motor neuron disease where both upper and lower motor neuron are involved. They are asymmetrical mostly. They have prominent wasting and fasciculations. It may be acute as in polio or chronic as in amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Lower motor neuron and upper motor neuron findings in amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Extraocular muscles not usually involved. No bowel and bladder involvement motor sensory syndromes now let us focus on the motor sensory syndromes of lower motor neuron it includes peripheral nerve plexus and root involvement peripheral nerves peripheral nerves can present in three ways this include one mononeuropathy as in carpal tunnel syndrome where motor and sensory impairment in the distribution of a single nerve two mononeuritis multiplex Multiple peripheral nerves are involved at different locations for example right radial nerve and left common peroneal nerve motor and sensory impairment in the distribution of these nerves hansens disease and vasculitis are the common causes for mononeuritis multiplex three peripheral neuropathy peripheral nerves are involved in a length dependent manner distal stocking and glove sensory loss symptoms start in the foot and slowly ascend to the knee by the time it reaches knee the symptoms appear in the hands in a length dependent manner. First motor symptoms are usually slipping of chapels with or without knowledge. The toe grip will be weak, dorsiflexion more weak than plantar flexion. Diabetic peripheral neuropathy is a classical example. Plexus. We already discussed a case of diabetic lumbosacral plexopathy in the beginning of this discussion. Let's revise the clinical features of plexopathy. Multiple peripheral nerves in a single limb affected, usually asymmetrical, and one limb alone is affected. Rarely, bilateral amyotrophy can occur in diabetes. Severe pain at onset and early wasting are other characteristics of plexopathy. Examples include parsonage-turner or idiopathic brachial plexitis and diabetic amyotrophy. Root. The clinical features of root involvement include radicular pain that is pain in the distribution of dermatome which increases on coughing and straining. There is weakness in the distribution of muscles supplied by the root. Sensory loss in a dermatome may not be appreciated when a single root alone is affected due to the overlap of adjacent dermatomes. Three types of involvement of roots can occur. 1. Single root as in disc prolapse. For example, C5 root involvement due to cervical disc prolapse compressing onto the exiting root. The patient will have decreased biceps and supinator jerk with radicular pain in the C5 dermatome. Weakness may be present in C5 innervated muscles. 2. Multiple roots as in equina. Multiple roots are involved in the spinal canal below L1 vertebrae due to disc prolapse or tumour. Usually asymmetric as the roots are variably involved on either side. Three. Polyradiculopathy as in Guillain-Barre syndrome. Multiple roots and nerves are affected all over the body. The patient will have generalized areflexia with an ascending motor sensory syndrome. The weakness is proximal more than distal usually. Bilateral facial nerve involvement and absence of bowel and bladder involvement helps to differentiate from acute myelopathy in a spinal shock state. We have finished the clinical features of all components of lower motor neuron. Let's revise the steps to approach a case of weakness once again. Step 1. Is there a true weakness? Step 2. If yes, is it upper motor neuron or lower motor neuron? Step 3. If lower motor neuron, is it pure motor or motor sensory syndrome? Step 4. If pure motor syndrome, anterior horn cell, muscle or neuromuscular junction, based on further clinical findings. Asymmetric weakness with wasting and fasciculation suggests anterior horn cell, Symmetrical proximal weakness with early extracular muscle involvement with fatigability and diurnal fluctuation suggest neuromuscular junction disorders. Pure motor proximal weakness without fatigability and fluctuation suggests muscle disease. Step 5. If motor sensory syndrome, root, plexus or peripheral nerves based on the distribution of motor weakness and sensory loss. We will solve one last case using these steps before wrapping up. A 28-year-old male presented with paresthesia of both lower limbs of 4 days duration and weakness of lower limb followed by upper limb of 3 days duration. No bowel and bladder involvement. On examination, he had bifacial weakness. He had hypotonia with generalized areflexia. His plantar was flexor. He had grade 2 power in proximal upper and lower limb with grade 4 power distally and needed walking support. Joint position sense was impaired in both upper and lower limbs. There was no cerebellar signs. The autonomic nervous system, skull, spine were normal. Let's approach this case now. Step 1. Is there a true weakness? Yes, he does have a true weakness. Step 2. If yes, is it upper motor neuron or lower motor neuron? Since the patient has hypotonia with areflexia and no bowel and bladder involvement, this is more likely to be lower motor neuron. Step 3. If lower motor neuron, is it pure motor or motor sensory? It is a motor sensory syndrome. So the possibilities are root, plexus and peripheral nerve. Plexus is unlikely as all four limbs are affected. What is left is the root and peripheral nerve. This disease is a polyradicular neuropathy where multiple roots and peripheral nerves are affected. It is caused by an acute demyelinating disease called Guillain-Barre syndrome. So final diagnosis for the patient is functional deficit, a reflexic quadriperiesis with bifacial weakness, anatomical localization, motor-sensory lower motor neuron syndrome with multiple root and nerve involvement, etiology, Guillain-Barre syndrome. Nerve conduction studies showed an acute demyelinating polyneuropathy. Cerebrospinal fluid showed albuminocytological dissociation consistent with the clinical and electrophysiological diagnosis of acute inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy, which is a subtype of Guillain-Barre syndrome. The patient was treated with plasma exchange followed by physiotherapy with complete resolution of symptoms. That finishes today's discussion. Thank you all for the tremendous support from around the world for our podcast. Please go through the notes and images of this discussion at the neurologyteachingclub.com website. The link to the website is in show description. Please enroll for the newsletter at the website. Then the new episodes will reach directly to your mailbox along with other goodies. If you hear this on Apple device, please give a rating and leave a review. You can do this by touching on the three dots on top left corner of the screen and then click on go to show and scrolling down. I'm telling Apple specifically because that is the only platform that provides this feature currently. Your review will be a huge encouragement for us to continue working hard to bring this show to you. If you like the podcast, please share it with your friends and colleagues. If you have some comments and suggestions, let us know at the comment box on the website. Thanks for listening to Clinical Neurology Podcast. Kindly subscribe and review if you found it useful. You can follow Neurology Teaching Club Instagram account for exclusive figures of this podcast and visit our website neurologyteachingclub.com for more resources. The podcast and online content are meant for medical education only and should not be used to guide clinical decision making and treatment. You can find more of this podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast or wherever you get your ear candy. It's KD signing off and until we meet next time, spread knowledge.